Well, we're quickly approaching Thanksgiving, aren't we? And I don't know if you've already zoomed past that and are already looking forward towards Christmas, but as we're approaching Thanksgiving, you know, that time of the year we gather with family and friends and we eat, they're just a really great meal and we give thanks to God who's provided so generously for us. Uh, It's an important season. And, you know, just to get ready myself for it, I started reading just about health and fitness, you know, because I know I got to be ready on the backside of this thing. So, So I was reading about that this week. And one of the things that I read and one of the things that I noticed was that there was a growing concern among pediatricians in our country that our children are increasingly uh, malnourished and at the same time overweight. So we have, a, we have a growing problem in our country with children being malnourished and overweight. And so at the very, at the very same time. And so what's happening is they're eating more calories than their body needs, but all those calories are stuff that's no good for them. So they're not getting the protein, the fruits, the vegetables, the vitamins, the minerals, all the nutrients they need for their bodies to be strong and healthy. And at the very same time, uh, our young people are spending more and more time in front of a screen and less and less time playing outside. And so I was reading about a recruiter for the military who says that more and more people who they would like to enlist cannot pass basic physical fitness tests. And so... So the problem just kind of escalates, right? Overweight and malnourished. And then, consider this too, at the, at the same time this is going on, we also have in our country this kind of rise, maybe the last 10 years or so, of minimalism. Have you heard of it? Are you familiar with this whole idea of being a minimalist, where you kind of reduce your life just to what you really need? You kind of, okay, I'm just going to focus on what I need, kind of move, remove like the wants and stuff, and kind of declutter a little bit. And so th- this is kind of taken off, and you can go. There's YouTube channels on it. You can find coaches who can help you. There's workshops you could go to, all to help you declutter your life. Why? Because there's all this stuff that at one time you really, really wanted, and all of a sudden now you realize, man, all these wants, they just kind of get in the way, and how do I, how do I declutter? Overweight and malnourished, cluttered with a lot of stuff that we want, but not so much of the things we need. Well, as we continue our empowered study through the Gospel of Mark, uh, we're going to see this morning that Jesus, he wants to build disciples who are not malnourished. He's going to give them exactly what they need, not always what they want. And that's how he works with us. He doesn't always give it. You know, we sing this song, your goodness is running after me, but sometimes it doesn't feel like it because we're focused on what we want. We think, well, I know you'd be good to me if I got this, 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 and this, and this, and then, man, that would be your goodness towards me. And Jesus, in his generosity, he takes all the stuff that's working on in our lives, and he says that he turns it all for our good. We get to see that this morning. Let's go ahead and jump in. We're in Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 21. Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 21. John Mark writes, In those days, when a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from, a far, far, have, have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. 
And he directed the crowds to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke it and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. He immediately got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now, they had forgotten to bring bread, and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see? And having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basket full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you yet still not understand? It almost feels like deja vu, doesn't it? I mean, if you've been with us through this study, I mean, it was just like the other week that we were reading about Jesus feeding the 5,000, and now it seems like the same thing, right? Here's a crowd of people. They're in this desolate place, this remote area. They're getting hungry, and Jesus again feeds the crowd. And it's so similar, in fact, that there's been liberal scholars who say, you know what, this is the same miracle, Mark's just kind of reinserting it here for dramatic effect or something, but really the same thing. And the reason why they say that is is they say there's no way that the disciples could be this clueless as to miss it again. I mean, how how can they still not understand? And that's literally the point that they make. That's literally the point of the passage, that they still do not understand. They still don't rightly recognize who Jesus is. This is what Mark is getting at. And so, This is clearly a separate miracle, okay? They're in a different place, very different place. We'll get to that in a moment. It's a different number. Uh, There's different basketfuls, different number of basketfuls that are taken up afterwards. There's a different kind of compassion that's exhibited here, right? In the the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus has compassion on them because they're like sheep without a shepherd. He has compassion on them because of their spiritual state, And he sees them as they are, these desperate, helpless people. And so he has compassion on them because of their spiritual state. Now with this scene, it's different. This scene, the compassion that Jesus exhibits is because of their physical state, their physical need for food. These people, they've left their homes, they've traveled this desolate area, this remote place. They put their desire to be with Jesus over and above their desire, their need, really, for food, their physical need for food. They put communion time with Jesus above the physical need for food. And Jesus says, I have compassion for that. He doesn't rebuke them for, like, this reckless uh, worship or anything. He has compassion for them and their priorities and how they're doing things. And you see the crowd? You You see how they respond to Jesus? 
They're willing to leave their homes, go out into a remote area, just camp out, and listen to Jesus talk for three days. I mean, it's not like they're leaving. Like, well, you know, that sermon was good. I think I've got it from here. I'm going to take, I'm going to go back home. I'm hungry. No, these people are fascinated by Jesus. And haven't we seen this over and over and over again in the book of Mark? I mean, this is who Jesus is. He's this captivating, winsome person who people, they just couldn't get enough of him. Not the ordinary people. They'd leave everything to be with him, to hear from him. We don't even get the sense that he's doing any miracles here. He's simply teaching. And for three days, they're camped out, hanging on every word. You don't get the idea that they want to go anywhere. It's not like the crowd is recirculating or something, and, well, there's some people here this day, and there's a new group the next day. And there's a new... No, it's the same group of people. They're every day. Are you this captivated by Jesus? I mean, does he grab your heart like this? Is he this winsome to you? Is this the Jesus that you're introducing people to? Oh, man, you've got to know Jesus. I mean, just look and listen to how he talks. Listen, listen to what he says. Listen to how he acts. Watch his movements. This is the Jesus that we get to invite people to. This is the Jesus who captivates our souls, who's just so magnetic, we cannot get enough of him. If you know Jesus, you want more of him. And this is what we see. These people are camping out. They're listening three days. And by the third day, Jesus He's, he's looking, he's saying, man, these guys have got to be hungry. I mean, they're to the point now, if I tried to even send them away back home, they're going to faint just going back home. They haven't eaten for three days. This is how desperate they were to get to him. It almost reminds me, you know, when uh, like a Chick-fil-A opens sometimes, or, or maybe, you know, back in the day if there was like a new Star Wars movie or something, and everyone's just camping out, you know, for the new Chick-fil-A or the new Star Wars movie. Now, they're just so desperate to get there, you know, before you could buy, before the days now where you can just buy tickets online, just be ready. But you're just camped out and you're ready and, you know, everybody's decked out. You know, you got the people with C-3PO costumes or whatever it is they're wearing. And maybe a guy shows up with Spock ears. And you're like, you're at the wrong thing, man. He's like, I don't care. I just wear these for fun. But, you know, this is where they're at. This desperate. I just want to be here. I, I want to see this. Movie. I want to be the first one. I'm in line. I'm a, I want to be a part of this. This is that same level of desperation. Man, I want to hear Jesus. I'm desperate to hear him. I want to hear every word. I want to be in this crowd. I want to be in the people. And you know, right? Like, if you're going and you got this desperation, if maybe you tell your mom or something, hey, mom, dad, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. I hear Jesus is in town. I, wanna, I, want, I just want to hear him. And she's probably like, okay, that's fine. Just pack some sandwiches, you know? And you're like, mom, he's the Messiah. I don't care if he is the Messiah, just pack some sandwiches. I mean, what's he going to do? Pull out thousands of sandwiches from a basket? And then you get back home. Mom, you'll never guess where he got the sandwiches from. <laughs> I mean, this is what's happening. This is incredible. Jesus has compassion on them here because of their physical need. Earlier, it was spiritual need. The former crowd, the five, that was the spiritual need. Here, it's the physical need. And the question that it begs for us as we've seen Jesus demonstrate compassion time and time and time again in a multitude of areas is this. Do you trust that Jesus will have compassion on your life? Do you trust that he'll have compassion on your life? Do you trust that he'll have compassion on your schedule? Say, man, I'd like to study more about Jesus. I'd like to, but my schedule's so full. I mean, I got this and this and this. It's just hectic. It's cr I don't have time. Do you trust 
that if you carved out an extra 15 minutes a day just to spend time in prayer and reading the Bible and learning more about Jesus, that he would have compassion on your schedule? Do you trust that he would have compassion on your family? Like, hey, I'm going to make my home a ministry center. I'm going to invite some of my neighbors over, and we're going to hang out. I mean, I don't know these neighbors. They might be bad influences on my kids. I mean, they make me a little nervous. I see what they do. So do you, do you trust that Jesus will have compassion on your family? Do you trust that if, if you say, you know what, I'm going, to, I'm going to venture into this realm of foster care, but it really makes me nervous because, you know, I don't know these kids and what they've been through and everything, and what's that going to do to my family? Do you trust that he'll have compassion on your family? I mean, I'm not saying that we don't exercise discernment. There's not wisdom and all that. Sure. But are you asking Jesus to have compassion over different areas of your life? Do you trust that he'll do that? Because we see time and time and time again in the Gospels that he has compassion on people in a variety of areas, in spiritual needs, in physical needs, and in emotional needs. He's a compassionate God who we can go to with all of what we got and say, Jesus, we have compassion on this. It's interesting because you see Jesus' compassion at the same time, the disciples are there and they're watching all this go down, right? They've been at the camp out here for three days. They have to see how hungry the people are. But you remember, with the feeding of the 5,000, it was the disciples who brought up the need for food. They were the ones who brought up the need for bread. This time, they're not bringing it up. It's Jesus who brings up the need. I think there's a couple reasons for it. One, before the disciples, they really wanted that alone time with Jesus. You remember? Jesus had commissioned them off to go in pairs and to go with nothing. And then they had just come back and they wanted to tell Jesus all the stories. Well, here's what happened. We did this and this and this. So they wanted that time alone with Jesus so they could just tell the stories. So it was like, well, can we just send them away, Jesus, so we can just have time with you? So I think that's part of it. And then the other part here is, well, it's a different crowd. They're in a different place. We know from Mark 7 that they're in the region of the Decapolis. That's Gentile territory, okay? This is a Gentile crowd. And in those days, the Jews were prejudiced against Gentiles. So the disciples, they probably didn't muster up a whole lot of compassion for them. They're not looking at them thinking, oh man, geez, let's meet their needs. They're probably thinking, geez, when can we get out of here? And haven't we been here long enough? You know, I mean, they were the ones, right? Hey, can we just send the Syrophoenician woman away? And Jesus is the one who has compassion. It's the same thing here. He's going to have compassion on this Gentile crowd. He's going to teach them just as he taught the Jewish crowd. He's going to feed them just as he fed the Jewish crowd. And he does. And we see some similarities. The last time, the disciples, they wonder, hey, where are we going to get enough bread? This time, same thing. Where are we going to get enough bread? Last time, Jesus says, hey, go take a report, see what we've got. This time, go take a report, see what we've got. They come back this time, hey, we got seven loaves of bread. That's two more than last time. You know, and we're really going to have a feast today. And Jesus, like last time, he invites the disciples again to be a part of the miracle. Even though they still don't believe. I mean, evidence of their action, we'll see it even more. They still don't rightly recognize who Jesus is. But again, he invites them to be a part of the miracle. So he blesses the food. He has the people sit down in groups. He gives it to the disciples. The disciples set the food before them. And they would watch as just these masses of people would come up and take bread. And they knew 
It was just seven loaves of bread feeding the masses, and they watched them come and come and come, and they continued to eat. And Jesus takes a couple fish, breaks it, has the disciples lay the fish before them too, and they come and they eat and they eat and they eat. And they're all satisfied. It's like Thanksgiving, right? There's stuff. They can't eat anymore. The disciples go back up, and they're the ones. They pick up the baskets full of all the leftovers. We talked about it last time. It was against Jewish law that you would save leftovers, right? It was now considered unclean. Jesus didn't care. He he always has room for leftovers. He didn't let anything go to waste. And so they go, and they pick up seven baskets full. Jesus has everything they need for life and ministry. He's shown them this time and time again. And now he's just demonstrated that not only does he have everything they need for life and ministry, he has everything the whole world needs for life and ministry. Everything Jews need, everything Gentiles need, he has everything that is needed for life and ministry. Well, after the feeding, Jesus set sail with his disciples to Dalmanutha. Now, we don't know where Dalmanutha is, okay? Our best guess is it's Magdala, okay? Best guess. Don't know for sure. But we do know this, that it's Jewish territory, okay? They're back in the boat. They go across the lake. They're in Jewish territory. One of the dead giveaways is there's a crowd of Pharisees ready to accost Jesus as soon as he gets off the boat, all right? And so they run up to him, and they're ready. Man, they got a question. They want to get Jesus. Hey, you just prove to us that you really are the Son of God. Show us a sign from heaven. Give us a sign from heaven. This is the question, really, the demand. And Jesus, he sighs deeply, right? Because he is so frustrated. He's dismayed that he's being tempted again, that he's being challenged again. You know, reading in our culture, we almost miss the gravity of just how angry he really is by the question. There's this oath formula that um, readers in Mark's day, it was almost like an idiom that you would just know what he's talking about. So as he begins the statement, you know what the second half of the statement is, even though he doesn't make it. And so it works like this. He says, if a sign is given to this generation, that's the first half of the formula, the implied second half is this, then may I be accursed by God. So any reader in Mark's day, when they see this, man, if there's a sign given to this generation, you're immediately thinking, Jesus is saying, well, then let me be cursed by God. This is how upset he is that these people are asking, demanding, really, a sign from heaven. Now, this is a level of anger that Jesus has that's going to prevent, he's, hey, I'm not giving you a sign on your terms, no matter what the cost, there's, there's no way I'm going to do that. And I need to get into the weeds with you on this a little bit to just really uh, highlight the meaning and to see how important this is. Because the Pharisees are asking for a sign from heaven. That's a very specific type of sign. This is not simply, hey, will you just give us a sign, God, that, that, or Jesus, that you are God, a, a sign from God. Any sign in those days was considered a sign from God, okay? Anything that you saw, it was, it was all considered a sign from God. Uh, no, when they're saying sign from heaven, this is a very specific type of sign. What they're asking for is an apocalyptic sign. 
That they're saying, hey, God, or Jesus, will you show us that you really are the Messiah and that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel right now? That's what we want to see. In other words, we want to see the Jews rise up that we can take our right place of prosperity. We're your elect people, and we want to see the Gentiles crushed. Will you give us that sign? Will you allow us to, to prosper, to grow, to rule, to reign? And will you be done with Roman rule? Will you be done with the Gentiles? This is what we want. We want to see them defeated, and we want to see us win. That's the sign they're asking for because that's what they're expecting with the coming of the Messiah. This, this is the messianic rule that they expect, that the kingdom being restored to Israel. Ironically, this comes directly after the feeding of the masses of Gentiles, where Jesus has just exhibited the fact that his purpose is not to destroy the Gentiles, but to bless the Gentiles. Jesus, he refuses to give the Pharisees a sign, but what he's going to give them is what they really need. He's going to give them a sacrifice. That's what he gives. He gives himself for them, not just for them, for Gentiles as well, but they want a sign. Instead, he gives them a sacrifice. By the way, Jesus had given them plenty of signs already, okay? I mean, it's not like he hadn't proved himself that he was God, all right? I mean, you just think back with me, okay? He's explained his actions time and time again. He sent a cleansed leper to them, all right? They had never seen anything like this. Here's a cleansed leper. And then also, he forgave the sins of the paralytic. He proved that he had forgiven the sins of the paralytic by having the paralytic stand up and walk. He had given sign after sign after sign. He explained his actions, why he eats with tax collectors and the poor, why his disciples are not fasting. He points to Old Testament precedent to prove why, hey, this is why we're not keeping with the Sabbath. Just, just look what David did. He's given them sign after sign after sign, this mastery of the Old Testament text. He's proven it. But that's not what they wanted. That's not the type of sign they were asking for. What they wanted was power and control. They wanted this apocalyptic sign that the kingdom is now Israel's. Ironically, Jesus does not give them what they want, but he will give them exactly what they need. He didn't come to give them a sign. He came to be their sacrifice. They wanted noise, they wanted action, they wanted military triumph, they wanted all that. All, the only sound that he would offer them is the sound of the wind whistling through an empty grave, that he was risen, that he was their sacrifice, but they miss it because they're focused on what they think they want. Here's the thing, when you focus on your wants instead of your needs, you might miss both. When you focus on your wants instead of your needs, you might miss both. Because people today are not that unlike the Pharisees, really, are we? Sometimes we say, God, I will believe if you do this. Just show this, and then I will believe. Just say, I've already given you what you need. Sometimes in his grace, he does that. But not he's already given us what we need. And it's all here. Well, 
The disciples aren't so unlike the Pharisees either, are they? They'd seen plenty of signs. I mean, they'd been with Jesus a while. They'd seen over and over again all that Jesus can do. He's proven that he's God. But they've failed to grasp who Jesus is. It's been a continuing theme the first half of the Gospel of Mark. They fail to rightly recognize who Jesus is. And they're back in the boat. You remember, it seems like they spend a lot of times in boats, doesn't it? You remember the first time in the boat? The first time they're in the boat, what happens, right? This huge storm comes up. They get upset. They go to Jesus. Jesus, you don't even care that we're going to drown here. And Jesus looks at them and says, you still have no faith. And then you move, you move ahead. They're in the boat again after another feeding. And, and then they're, they're in the boat. And middle of the night, another huge storm comes up. And they're looking on the water, and they, they think they see a ghost. It's Jesus. He gets in the boat. Everything dies down completely calm. And he says, your hearts are still hard. You didn't understand what happened with the bread. You still don't get it. And now they're in the boat again, a third time. And this time, it's almost like Jesus is going to make an object lesson out of what's going on. Okay? There's only one loaf of bread in the boat. And you get the idea that Jesus goes and he grabs that loaf of bread and he holds it up. And he says, beware of the, of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. And sets it back down. And you can imagine if the disciples were there, they're shaking their heads. Oh, yeah. Leaven, Pharisees, Herod, bad. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I agree. That's, that's right. Then, okay, the object lesson's over. And they're looking at each other, you know. Jesus must be upset. We only took one loaf of bread on this trip. I mean, what were we think? Andrew, it was your job, you know. You should have brought some more bread. Levi, you're a tax collector. Have you been eating the bread? How come we only have one loaf of bread? I mean, so there's this scene going on, and Jesus is looking at them. And you can imagine, you say, have you guys just lost your minds? I mean, is it really about bread? I mean, it's, now... When he's saying this about leaven, what does leaven mean? Leaven is like yeast, okay? It causes bread to rise. It looks like tiny grains of sand. Uh, you mix it in bread dough, it rises. Um, it was also used to describe uh, things if, uh, like character aspects, all right? So, hey, you hang out with a bunch of bad company, what's going to happen? Well, it's going to corrupt your morals afterward. You're going to take on this. It's going to become that way. It's, it could be used in architectural terms to describe how you build a building. I'm not an architect, but I'm pretty sure that when you build a building, you want that thing 90 degrees, right? Perpendicular, straight up and down. I know we got a couple uh, examples where it's not like that. You know, Leaning Tower of Pisa or whatever, it's off four and a half degrees. It used to be five, but they made some corrections to make sure the building would stand. And now there's a church in Germany that's like more tilted, I guess, than the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And then in Dubai, you know, I think just because it's Dubai and they wanted to prove that they could do it, they, bu they built a building because that's like 15 degrees off uh, j just to be able to do it. But anyway, besides those kind of rare examples, you want these buildings going straight up and down, right? Perpendicular. And so uh, the Pharisees and, and Herod, well, their thinking is off. The, their leaven is off. It corrupts everything. And if it starts bad at the foundation, it only gets worse as you're building. And so he's saying, beware of the Pharisee, of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod, which is interesting because these guys did not really particularly get along, okay? 
The, the Pharisees and Herod were not friends. They didn't like each other. But what they had in common was this. They really, really didn't like Jesus. And so Jesus, we said before, Jesus, he creates strange bedfellows. You know, these people, they get together and they conspire because they really don't like him. And so this is what's happening. They're getting together, they're conspiring, and the leaven here is unbelief. They simply don't believe. You know, Matthew and Luke, they spell it out. Here's what the leaven uh, like is an example for. Mark, he doesn't. He just kind of leaves us in the tension in this moment. Okay, what is the leaven? What, what is this supposed to mean? He doesn't tell us. He leaves it open-ended. But it's this idea of unbelief. Now, the Pharisees, Herod, they don't believe. But the disciples are proving neither do they. They don't, they don't rec rightly recognize Jesus for who he is either. I mean, you can picture, oh, yeah, I agree. Everything you're saying, Jesus, this is right. This is right. All right, now, what about the bread? What about the bread? You would think if there's anything they don't have to worry about, it's bread, right? But this is where they are. I mean, you'd think, right, if there's anything that you can cross off your worry list, it's bread. After all they've been through, hey, if we're with Jesus, I think we're going to eat. We've seen the 5,000. We've seen the 4,000. We only have one loaf for the 13 of us, but I mean, I think we're going to eat. Or would you? No, they're still concerned about bread. What are we going to eat? And Jesus, he asked them seven rhetorical questions, okay? And it's, it's almost like he's just firing them off. Did you catch this? Are you really talking about bread? That's the first. I just love that one. Are you really still talking about bread? Is it, do you perceive and not understand uh, are your hearts hard? Do you have eyes and not see? Do you have ears and not hear? That's six of them. And then he pauses, and then he asks a couple questions just to kind of reinforce this. He says, with the feeding of the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? Twelve. Okay. With the feeding of the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? Seven. All right. Do you really still not understand? I mean, he's just breaking it down. Do you really still not get it? And what Mark is doing here is really quite ingenious. He sandwiches this whole episode between, these two, between two miracles. At the end of chapter 7, you have the healing of the deaf man. Remember, we talked about that last week. Next week, we'll see the healing of a blind man. So right in between these two episodes, he's asking the disciples, do you have ears and you can't hear? Do you have eyes and you can't see? What he's saying is, you're just as blind as the blind man, you're just as deaf as the deaf man. It's a spiritual blindness. It's a spiritual deafness. You still don't understand who I am. You still missed it. Yeah, these guys have sacrificed a lot. They've left a lot to be with Jesus, but they still don't rightly recognize who he is. They need a miracle just as desperately as those guys need miracles. They needed their eyes opened. They needed their ears unplugged to rightly see, to rightly understand that Jesus is Lord of all, that he has everything you need for life and ministry. And you know what he still does? He has everything we need for life and ministry. He has everything we need. You know, the disciples, they want more bread. That's the issue. I just want more bread. 
The Pharisees, I just want a sign. Just give us a sign from heaven that you're going to make us rise to power. Jesus, he's given all of this time and time and time before. He's shown this. They miss it. Why? Because they get so caught up thinking, this is what I need. This is what I really need. We have the same issue. We get caught up and we think, if I just had this better job, if I just had a spouse, if I just had more money, if I had better friends, if I had a nicer car, whatever it is, if I had, then that would be the life. Then I'd be happy. Then I'd be satisfied. Then I'd be content. Then I'd make a difference. Then, then I'd do this. Jesus, I have everything you need right now. Everything you need for life in ministry. You'll find your joy, your contentment, your love, peace, reason for being, purpose in life. You find it all in Jesus. He has all that. The greatest miracle of all is for our eyes to be opened and our ears to be unplugged to rightly see and understand that Jesus truly is all in all. Everything we need for life and ministry. And so we invest in that relationship. So Central, I'm going to pray here, but as I pray, I'm also going to be praying for our meal next, next door, all right, our, as, we, as we get together and we just uh, enjoy each other's company, fellowship, give thanks to God for what he's done for our, our church family here, and, and at the same time, we'll get to hear more about uh, Virginia's Kids Belong from Lauren, and, and that's going to be a great time as we get to do a, a project, as, as she was talking about earlier, to get to help these social workers. But So I'm going to pray for that. So when we get over there, you can just go right through the lines, uh, over to the gym, just go right through the lines, grab your food, sit down, eat, enjoy the company, and um, so that's how we'll, we'll do that, all right? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for your goodness to us. Your goodness truly is running after us. Forgive us for when we fail to see it. Forgive us for when we fail simply uh, to see it because we're, we're, we're looking simply for what we want. And we fail to see, God, that you've given us everything we need. And in you, you have everything we need for life and ministry. You give a life of purpose. You give a life of joy, a life of peace, a life of contentment. God, help us to rest in you. We recognize we need your help to do that. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.